When you were young, girl, did you have dreams of making an impact, changing the world? What happened to those dreams? That's what we're talking about today. You're listening to Second Breaks, and this is episode number 95. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today for yet another episode of Second Breaks. If you are a new listener, welcome. This show, Second Breaks, the show that you're listening to, is a show where we get into stories and people's strategies for navigating this changing world of work. New episodes come out on Thursdays, and I hope that you like today's episode, that you'll want to subscribe and stick around and become a frequent listener to the show. My name is Lou Blazer, by the way. I am your host, (laughs) obviously. I'm also the founder of the And Thriving Network, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But I first want to get into what this episode is all about. My guest today is not new to the show. She's been with us before, back in November 2018, in episode 70, where she talked about her career as an SEO consultant. I'm talking about Meg Casebolt. And SEO for the uninitiated is search engine optimization. It is a very relevant topic and is massively needed in this world of Google where everything is indexed and searchable. If you're wondering how is it that you get the quote unquote right answer to the question that you posted on Google, SEO has something to do with it. I invited Meg to the show back then to talk about her career, which I categorize under the umbrella new economy careers, jobs and fields of work that would have not been possible or even irrelevant in the Jurassic years, also known as before the internet. (laughs) But during our earlier conversation, I discovered something about her. This other thing that we didn't really have the time to get into for that episode. And that thing being that Meg started her career with a very, um, uh, shall I say, purpose or cause-driven intention. And sure, many of us feel that way and have similar goals. I feel that way too. But Meg's was founded on a desire to help the disadvantaged. She studied political science and community economic development. She joined the Peace Corps. She worked on political campaigns. She started her career in nonprofits. You will hear from her that she would have stayed in that world too, the nonprofit world, I mean, had life not intervened and careened her towards a different direction altogether. So I wanted to chat with Meg again, this time to talk about what happened to those earlier goals. Had she outgrown them? And if she still has similar goals today, how does she reconcile them with being an entrepreneur and a business owner? I loved my conversation with Meg because we dove into aspirations and You know, those things, those dreams that we had when we were young and idealistic and wanted to change the world and how those dreams sometimes, if we're lucky, can become part of our DNA and influence the work that we do and our career choices as adults. 
This show, Second Breaks, is brought to you by Ant Thriving. Ant Thriving is a professional network supporting people who want to thrive in their chosen field of work. Ant Thriving members get access to one-on-one mentoring, resources and tools for designing and planning their career move, and the opportunity to create valuable professional connections. Now, this is actually a good time to explore if Ant Thriving is right for you because we are open for founding members this month of May. 2019. So be sure to check it out. You can learn more about Ant Thriving at antthriving.net. That is antthriving.net. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. My friend, meet Meg Casebolt. I am so glad to be back. I feel like we talked so much in the last episode and like scratched the surface of all the things that we want to talk about. So I'm glad that you invited me back to talk a little bit more about all the different ways that like the path of your life can come together. The last time we chatted, we focused a lot on like the, the stuff that you do now, which is also which is very interesting. But there were some things that you, you touched on that I really wanted to, to dig in. So putting this in context, we are going to start way back to before you have your business, which is what you do now. But you started your career in a nonprofit world, right? I did. Because I think you had also mentioned to me either during that initial conversation or in a subsequent email exchange that we had, that you had a particular pull towards, you know, helping the disadvantaged. So you had that sort of like cause or purpose behind the work that you want to do. And so I was wondering whether was was that as a result of the work that you were doing in the nonprofit world or was it? that you sought work in nonprofit in the nonprofit space because you wanted to help the disadvantaged. I think it I think it's the latter. I think, you know, my mom was a teacher growing up and then um she left there and became a social worker and um you know, I grew up in a place of a lot of privilege yeah. and so I was always kind of aware of that from a young age and knowing that it, even before privilege and woke were like terms <laughs> You know, I don't think I could have articulated like, uh, you know, white privilege, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I, I come from that place. And so I wanted to be able to return that and use my, I, I, oh God, Brittany Packnett calls it something really cool about like spreading your privilege mm. or like embracing it and like allowing it to you like speak through your privilege. And so I think that even from like a young age, I kind of knew like, I am not, this is not normal to Mm -hmm. have this amount. And I mean, we're upper middle class, it wasn't anything crazy. But, you know, I think I kind of always had a heart of like, well, I, I am lucky, in a lot of ways. And so the the best way to deal with that is not to feel guilty and not to feel entitled and not to feel any of those things, but just to say, okay, well, how can I kind of pay this forward? Mm -hmm. Um, And to come in it from that space. So when I was looking at colleges, like, (laughs) half a lifetime ago. Uh, You know, I was like, do I want to go into education? Do I want to go into journalism? You know, it was always from this space of um, lifting other people up and telling other people's stories. Um, And then eventually the major that I chose was political science in part because I thought, okay, maybe, you know, I can go into politics and make a big difference. And part was because it was a really easy major to get all of the required (laughs) courses in. So there's a confession. 
You know, I like looked at the guidebooks and I'm like, this one has, you know, three requirements and seven electives. <laughs> Never one else is going to require me to be on campus all the time. With this one, I can study abroad. So, you know, you make life decisions when you're 18. <laughs> Speaking of confessions, I'm always, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this topic is because I it is so very um, uh, unfamiliar to me right mm-hmm. while we're in confession mode um when i was in college really i chose i chose the degree that was going to get me to uh, the best jobs and the the best way that i could climb the ladder is basically you know i had this weird thing my dad my dad worked like a corporate job he was in engineering and i think i had a bit of like resistance to that like oh sitting in an office all day that sounds so boring you know like i think that there was some weird pushback from me about that where it was like I why would I go to a desk job every day and now like what do I do I sit at my desk all day (laughs) but you know when you're when you're like 16 and you're super like you know optimistic and idealistic and so I um I did an internship when I was in college working on a political campaign. Um, I knocked on a lot of doors. I made a lot of cold calls. You know, I did the phone banking and um, I, I really enjoyed the the community and the like the um, the act, the activity. Um, activism is the word I'm looking for. Um, I enjoyed the activism. And then my candidate that I was interning for lost by point three percent and it broke my yeah. soul oh god you know what I mean like I was looking around the room at all these people I admired and we were all working nights and weekends and then it was like the cards were stacked against us because we were the we weren't the incumbent candidate we were the the competitor and it just like it Ugh. I remember walking into my professor's office for the internship the next day just in tears just like what have I been spending all this time mm-hmm. on <laughs> Like I went to this neighbor, these neighbors I didn't know to like knock on strangers' doors because I believed in this mission, and then it didn't pay off. And I think like it really feels like it broke me a little bit. Isn't that so silly? Like, but I can imagine because you worked so hard during the campaign, and their mission becomes your mission, and you know, and to get so close, totally. And like, I, you know, I, and then the the summer after that, I was still like, well, maybe I'll feel a little bit different if it's not for a campaign, maybe it'll be for a cause. And so I ended up knocking doors. I live in New York and we have a really weird electoral system. Um, So we have the Democrats and we have the Republicans. And then we have third party candidates that are called fusion voting where they can cross endorse major party candidates. And so I ended up working for, um, like a political party mm. knocking doors for a summer. And if I hadn't been broken by working for a candidate, working for a liberal, <laughs> a liberal political party knocking doors in the heat of the summer for 10 hours a day. Yeah, that that was my like, I need to get the degree so I can not ever touch politics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But this actually leads me to my other uh, curiosity that I wanted to ask you is because, um, you know, Obviously, I mean, I don't know if we could call it under the umbrella of communications or if you would put it under that, but all of that stuff that you were doing is you're reaching out. It's all around 
communicate communications, right? It's just different totally. vehicle, right? And so very much outreach, very much yeah. like getting out of my comfort zone, meeting new people, um, telling us st- like storytelling is really strong in politics. And I think that that's something that I've all and, and doing something that I care about, you know, right. I couldn't have worked on campaigns that weren't in alignment with the with my goals and my vision and, and who I was. And who I am, and um, did you did you fall in love with communications and storytelling as a result of the work that you were doing earlier on with the campaigns, or is it this is what I want to do? I love this thing. I think so. I think I, after I did the the political internships, the polit- you know the canvassing, the the having doors slammed in my face for ten hours a day. After I made it through that gauntlet, I was like, okay. I still want to help people, but this is not what I want to be doing. And so that was when I started doing internships with nonprofits, um, just to sort of get my foot in the door there. And so I worked for, I was going to college in Philadelphia. And so I worked for um, an AIDS education and activism organization there. So it was like, okay, I can still get paid without my payment being reliant on who opens a door, right? Right, right. But in order to get paid, I have to write the grant to get my salary. Like we have to get those, you know, those donors in place. And it felt um, once I got into that sort of mindset of I'm still kind of earning my salary, but not doing it in a way that feel like that, that I'm helping people, but I'm also like writing the grants to help them that pay me <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. telling their stories and starting to kind of go down that communications route. I, I went to a school, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia that has this huge communications school. And I never took one class in communications. I only took politics because that was what I thought I wanted to do. I didn't take a marketing class. All I do now is communications and marketing. If I could like just one little shift, I'd be like, just go to the business school, take a marketing class, you know, find something that can turn, you can still use it with nonprofits. Just like take a class that's relevant. I took all these classes in um, ancient art and architecture ancient art and architecture. I took classes in God, I, um, women in science through the 18th century. I took a whole class in, oh God, what was it even called? Sexuality of Irish folklore? Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> what was I thinking? But, what was I thinking? But it was so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, but funnily enough, now, I, sometimes I think about if I were to go back to school now, not not like going back in time, but now just for fun, not fun, but like for things that I would be interested in, those would be the classes that I would take. You know, it's so funny because now I was actually talking to my friend Susie about this. We were talking about what we would study. And for she's a, a she was a graphic designer. Now she's a marketing strategist. But she's like for a long time. She's also a political science major. And she's like for a long time. I thought that I wanted to go back and get a master's degree in design. But really the the education that would do the most benefit to me would be a degree in consumer behavior. Mm, right. Like that would be so like, it would be a psychology degree for me now. It wouldn't even be the marketing. It would be psychology, totally. right? Were you always thinking, you know, obviously it's a political science, but were you always thinking this is my path forward? I'm going to, this is the career that I'm going to build? 
Yeah, so I would say once I got out of college and had done a couple internships working at nonprofits, that was where I saw my future. If you'd asked me, like, where are you going to be in 20 years, it would have been an executive director of a mid to large size uh, nonprofit somewhere on the East Coast. Like, that would have been my vision. And, you know, I I think I could have worked my way up through it. I had the chops. I knew how to, you know, I got promoted through my nonprofit jobs. I started as the fundraising assistant, and then I became the director of um, special events, and then I moved into major gifts, and then I moved into communications. And if I'd kept going down that path, I absolutely could see myself in the C-suite of a nonprofit now. So it's very purpose-driven, cause-driven career path that you were thinking about. And then, of course, in our last conversation, we talked about you getting pregnant and, and then making a shift. And so that now you are running your business, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own business. Well, even before that happened, so I had, I started kind of going down this nonprofit career path living in Boston. Um, And Boston has, I think after San Francisco, it has the most nonprofits per capita. Um, But if I'd stayed in Boston, I think I absolutely would have continued down that path. But I fell in love with a guy who was in the Navy. And when he got out of the Navy, we went where he could get a job and there weren't nonprofits in the place where he could get a job. I see. I got gotcha. And so I, you know, I found a nonprofit that I could work for and it was a 45 minute drive each way and the pay wasn't worth the cost of the gas. And so it was, um, you know, and then I looked closer to where we lived and I applied for all the jobs and I didn't get them. Mm. And sometimes like those life things happen where mm. if I had gotten one of those jobs working in the nonprofit in the tiny town where we lived, my whole life would be different, but I didn't. And I didn't want the 70 mile commute every day for a job that I didn't love. On the surface, or at least outside looking in, right? It seems at odds, being an entrepreneur, (laughs) building a business and all the attendants sort of messages that fill our heads about what <laughs> what a business ownership is all about yeah. right? versus and then comparing that to the sort of make an impact empower the disadvantaged purpose that you started with so i was wondering if you wouldn't mind sort of talking to us about you know your thoughts around that if how you reconcile the two how they're aligned or not aligned anymore it actually took me a while to reconcile that. You know, there was a point where after I'd made the transition first out of nonprofits into working for a local small business and learning kind of how that runs with a a nonprofit running very differently than a small business. um, And then making that transition to working for myself, those two transitions in some ways, you know, looking back on it, I think that I felt selfish. Ah, You know, like I'm not helping people anymore. I'm not doing this service that I thought was part of my like life work. Um, And um, took me a while to realize that I can still help people even if I get paid for it, which seems like such a dumb revelation. But when you're coming from a place of putting your value in service and putting your identity in and and I'm going to 
I'm going to be a little honest here that that might hurt some feelings. Um, when I was working for nonprofits, there was a little bit of martyrdom in there. There was a little bit of feeling really great about myself because I had taken the path that wasn't getting me paid as much and I had to live on the ramen and I had to, you know, and, and I felt like, oh, look at me, I'm making this big sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and very, a little bit self-congratulatory. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, um, I don't know, but probably about a year or a year and a half ago, I was having a conversation with somebody and, and I I'd made the transition into working in, in search engine optimization. And they said, well, what, what clients are you working with right now? And I said, I'm working primarily with women who are running their own businesses, um, and they're contributing to the household income. And the person I was talking to was a money coach. And she said, well, that's super empowering. You're giving women financial empowerment. And I was like, oh, my God, I am. You know, like it had not even occurred to me. And so one of the pieces that I missed in my little story is I actually have a master's degree in community development. I, when I was working for the nonprofit, I was also going back to school because I thought that that would help me move up the chain mm-hmm. of the nonprofit to have this master's degree to have these um research and evaluation and monitoring skills. And so the my my nonprofit paid for part of my degree and also the the Peace Corps paid for part of my degree because mm-hmm. I was going to go into the Peace Corps and then I had a medical issue that prevented that from happening. So I have this degree, um, a master's of of community development and uh, community economic development. And I was studying rural uh, developing countries, but I was studying um how women can be empowered through microfinance Mm. and how girls education deeply impacts an entire culture. And what the research shows (laughs) is that when men get an influx of money, it goes into like their bank account and they go, it goes into savings, right. Or it gets spent in ways that benefit them and other men. But when women get money coming into their household, they spend it on their kids. They spend it on their extended family. They they raise the entire economic possibilities of their community. Mm. And so when I was talking to this money coach years and years and years later, and she was saying, oh, you're helping women grow their businesses. I was like, oh, my oh God. God. I've, that's, you know, I've been studying these like rural societies, you know, I'm reading, um, Muhammad Yunus has a book called Banker to the Poor. And he talks about how this works in Bangladesh. And he was giving people sewing machines and livestock and seeing how that impacted the ways that they were benefiting their communities. I'm doing the same thing here. Yes. Yeah. I'm helping them grow their businesses so that they can benefit their families, be less financially dependent on one salary and you know, still have that capacity to grow their businesses and have some financial freedom. Exactly. Oh my God, I love how that is connected because I, sometimes I have conversations with folks who'd say to me that if if it were totally up to them, or like if if money was no object, that they would do something for the poor or the needy, or that you know that that's part of ourselves who wants to be helpful, but that. Uh, they won't be able to earn a living or they won't be able to, you know, sustain, you know, a living or feed their family if they did that. Because I think the the predominant idea is that to do those kinds of purpose-filled work means you don't get paid or you get paid very little. 
right? Or like the the martyr, you know, thing that you're talking about, right? And that's yeah. that's that's all there is. It, like either that, or you embrace the the fully commercialized, you know, the <laughs> the, the corporate, the corporate world, exactly. You know, cutthroat environment. But I and and I think that there's absolutely, you know, I work in this kind of online entrepreneurial space, and there's a lot of marketing that is still pretty cutthroat, and um, a lot of people have identified it as bro marketing. You know, that like, okay, <laughs> drop everything, and you'll make six figures in six days if you follow this formula and you know there's a lot of like greediness still in the online space but i've i've somehow found this pocket of people who are um who are collaborative who are and there's um there's a a community that was started by a photographer but now it's for a, a lot of creative entrepreneurs called the Rising Tide Society with that idea of you know the rising tide raises all boats and collaboration over competition and the more that we can help other people succeed the more likely we are to succeed and so i think that there is a space within entrepreneurship within small businesses that doesn't have to be cutthroat that doesn't have to be you know we have to get ahead at all costs yes. i think that there are more and more big corps coming forward that say, okay, we, we do want to make money, but we also want to be concerned about our employees and about the environment. And I think that there's um, a, a lot of awareness now that it doesn't have to be, like you said, that dichotomy of either make no money or only make money. You have a company that runs really well and helps people. Exactly. I didn't know, just as a segue, I didn't know that that was uh, the, the Rising Tide Society was started by someone who was a photographer. I yeah, didn't Natalie know Frank is her name. I, I didn't now, know, yeah. She works for a book now also. So she, does, she, she mentors a lot of photographers. And if you, if you go to a Rising Tide Society meeting, chances are there's going to be a lot of photographers there, but it is all kind of creative entrepreneurs. Yeah, I know that because, you know, I am attracted to this whole, you know, cooperation, not competition sort mm -hmm. of mindset, which is so true. And, and I would say that perhaps, you know, that is also um, the, the technology that we, you know, that we enjoy right now, the changes that we're seeing in the internet and all these kinds of stuff are, are allowing us to do these kinds of things. Whereas 20 years ago, this probably would have been more difficult to pull off. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, you and I talked on the last podcast about how like 20 years ago, what I do did not exist right. with search engine optimization. And the idea of working from home. Yeah. What would that even look like? Yeah. And, and being able to reach like the, the people, the women, the women, uh, the women business owners that you are reaching out to or helping out. And it'd been impossible to, you know, or not impossible, but more difficult to, you know, get to them or for them to find you. Totally. And meanwhile, earlier this week, I wrote a proposal where I'm the SEO person, the designer's Canadian, the copywriter's Australian, and we're all just making it work because it doesn't matter where you are anymore. It matters that you have the same values and that your your styles are in alignment and that you want to work with the same people. So we're no longer kind of limited by those barriers. So about 10 years ago or whenever it was that the internet was born and all these, the online sort of businesses started to, you know, were born and this, this way of, of uh, conducting business was born. I think there was a lot of uh, the messages around freedom and, you know, having more control over your life and, and being able to do, you know, what you're passionate about. Uh, but then lately or 
you know, the, the last few years, there's been a lot of messaging around make seven, seven figures. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to, you know, maybe it's the evolution of the messaging because now that they've created a business, now it's like seven figures in 60 days or whatever it is, right? Or, Eight figures, know. nine figures, right, every, exactly. every number of figures. Yeah, I think, you know, Tim Ferriss started this whole four hour work week thing. And then he grew the four hour work week into a multi-million dollar business you know he's doing that in more than four hours a week yes. it's the idea of automation and delegation that's sexy to people and it's the idea of this laptop laptop lifestyle that's sexy to people but then there's also very much an idea that you must grow in order to be successful and now and now i'm seeing a big pushback on that too you know paul jarvis just wrote a book called company of one about how he didn't want to grow that big and it was so refreshing to see that show up on bookshelves you know to your point, I think there's there's almost like there's that prevalent message about seven figure, eight figure, whatever to be successful. But then there's also this growing movement movement, if if I could use that word, towards being purposeful about the thing that you're building. And it's not about the seven, eight figure, but you know, and so that you could actually combine your values, your the things that are important to you, as well as make a living, make money. Right. And to have, I think some people call it lifestyle businesses, where it's like you want to grow the business to the extent that you can comfortably live, but you don't need to scale beyond that point just for the sake of, well, I know I could get my business bigger. Yes. I could bring on more staff. I could make things more stressful for myself. I could get a bigger office space. You know, there is I think our entire society, it has this undercurrent of minimalism happening right now of, you know, Marie Kondo and sparking joy and not needing extra stuff around your house. And then you also have so many things that are like, you you just, you don't need to go out to dinner every night, you know, like, there's, there's a big current of minimalism. And we can absolutely see that showing up in workplaces and in the entrepreneurial sphere. Do you see yourself as a business owner going forward and uh, and just going down this path? Of course, things change all the time. So who knows what SEO will look like, you know, five years from now. But is this kind of where your head is at this point in time? Kind of this is what I'm going to be doing. You know, I it's so funny. I last week I got served a Facebook ad from a local digital marketing company that's looking for somebody to do what I do as an employee. Mm -hmm. And the Facebook ad was awesome. Like they did a great job. And I was like, Oh, I'm good. And it started got my, my gears turning about like, is this, do, do I want all the stresses of entrepreneurship, you know, getting my own clients, doing my own branding, doing my own books. Wouldn't it be nice to just go do the thing that I like doing and not have to worry about all the overhead and the client acquisition. And there's like a, a very comforting um, backup plan there. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, I have to get to work when they say I have to get to work. I have to work with the clients that they choose and that they land for me. I have to work at the desk that they assign me. And all of that, you know, five, six years ago, I would have jumped at that opportunity. I was been like, yes, that sounds yes. great. And, you know, and there's something really, you know, really appealing about that. But also there's that downside. And that's the freedom you were talking about of, you know, I get to 
to run this business from my home. I don't have to, I, I live in um, one of the snowiest cities in America. If it's snowing out, I don't have to leave my house. <laughs> yes, I don't, have to, exactly, I don't have to put on pants. Exactly. And I don't know, I, I know that, uh, you know, should the, the need arise, I could absolutely do it. Um, but I also, I take off two afternoons a week to spend with my kids. Yes, there you go. Exactly. I think that's it, right? Yeah. And my husband works shift work. So some weeks, there would be weeks if I had a quote unquote normal job um, where I we wouldn't see each other. Some weeks we would and some weeks we wouldn't. And I that was not the the stability of the job and the decreased stress of being an employee instead of being a business owner to me at this time in my life was not worth the trade-off mm -hmm. exactly that's a good way of phrase uh, framing that as well actually because it's not like one is one of the choice is 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 perfect in both cases whether you're an employee or you are a business owner both have pros and cons and it's just a matter absolutely of i would i would be really happy i would be really happy if i had a salary right now if i had a consistent income stream if i knew how much i was going to be making if i didn't have to get you know x amount of leads calls and close x amount of sales in order to you know, make sure that we're comfortable. That mm -hmm. would be great. That would be that great. Would be, that I would sleep better at night, you know, but there's the trade-off, you know, it's, exactly. would it be great? Yeah, but it is not, it's just, you have to make that decision of what are the the sacrifices and the trade-offs that you're willing to make. And I'm okay to take the risk if I get the freedom Maybe when my kids are a little older and they're in school and I have a more structured schedule with them, then I'll rethink that conversation and, and you know, see what's out there in the marketplace. But I'm also at this wonderful place of having been in business for five years, developing relationships and getting a steady stream of clients. Mm -hmm. So it's not as scary for me as it was five years ago when I was not knowing or even three years ago, like, where's my next client going to come from? No, I need the shoulders to tap on if things get quiet. And that takes time. And that has been an investment that I can't quantify. So it's a very interesting thing to run a small business that is referral based, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but also a very rewarding thing. Right, exactly. And just to be clear, you're not building a nine figure business, are you? Um, I'd like to get to multiple six figures. There you go. Exactly. That's, that's my goal. I don't need to, you know, I'm, a, I'm running a service based business. And so if I wanted to get any larger than that, I'd probably have to grow it into a team and get the office space. And then everything about my overhead would shift and the profits wouldn't be as much and you know I would have to make some pretty big life changes and the, to get, this, uh, the trade off again right right if I wanted if I wanted to make a million dollars I could you know, I, I don't want to sound really <laughs> you know full of myself yeah I could make a million dollars but a million dollars would look very different than a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Totally. Maybe so I have that benefit of of not of working for my own business, where I do have this endless amount of abundance, and you know what my life could look like. I have the the I can have the vision that I wouldn't have working as an employee, but I don't have the paycheck. So it's a very interesting trade off. I also had to have a mindset shift around nonprofits as 
a business owner. Um, and I want to bring this up for other people who are in this space of, you said a lot of people said, you know, they want to, if the, if money were no object, then they would yes. work yeah. for the poor or they would do something for others. But because they have this financial obligation, they can't do that. Um, and so I'm going to say something from the perspective of somebody who used to work at a nonprofit, which is that the thing that nonprofits need more than anything else, more than your clothes, more than your in-kind donations, more than your time is they need your money. And so if you're making money and you can give five, 10% of that to a nonprofit that mm. means something to you, then you are still doing something really important. And you are supporting the people who are making that decision financially to take on less in order to serve the community, right? So that's something else that is driving to me is the more money I can make, the more money I can donate. If I'm making $30,000 a year, I don't have, when I was working for the nonprofit, I didn't have money to donate. Yes. But if I can make more, I can give more and I can still benefit the community that I live in and the, the, um, you know, the values that are important to me because I can have some financial freedom to support nonprofits and community foundations in different ways. So there's also that consideration now that took that shift of the more you make, the more you can give. So it's it's giving isn't just one way. Giving isn't necessarily just uh, elbow grease. Right. Working for nonprofits or volunteering for nonprofits is incredibly valuable. But even if you don't have the time, even if you cannot make the decision to work for a nonprofit, you can still support the communities that they serve. You can still give to those organizations to fund the lights being on in their offices, mm -hmm. to fund the salaries. You know, every nonprofit, if you look at their books, their biggest expense is the people who are doing the work. And they, your your volunteer time is wonderful, but also you need to <laughs> make sure that the people who are working there can also work there. Um, so just something else to consider if you're thinking, how do I, you know, how do I help the community if I also have to pay my own mortgage? Yeah, exactly. Okay, make a little more money and, and give it, you know? <laughs> um, and it's a hard decision, but a lot of people will say, oh, when I, when I start making my dream salary, I will give a bunch of money to charity. When I make my first million, I'll give $100,000 to the hospital. You don't have to wait. to wait. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you aren't giving when you're making $100,000, you're not going to, the, the, your expenses are going to go up based on your money. Is there a book that's made an impact on you that you wouldn't mind recommending? You know, the one that comes to mind based on the conversation that we just had is the book Body of Work by Pamela Slim. And are you familiar with that one? Yes. It's that idea that everything that you do in your life comes full circle into what your life goals and mission are. And so you can start to make these threads happen of here's what happened in your childhood and here were your first jobs and here's why it leads you to where you are and being able to tell that story. And I think that also was kind of transformative to me um, in terms of seeing how the path that I've walked down has not been a straight one, but it has led me somewhere. Meg, thank you so much for, you know, spending time with me again and for sharing these things. I really so appreciate it. I enjoy this conversation tremendously. Thank you so much for having me back. I feel like sometimes, you know, we get on podcasts and we go through the, the things that we expect to talk about. And I love being able to dive deeper here with you. I really appreciate the opportunity. So what do you think? 
If this conversation resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. What was your dream when you were younger? <laughs> were you able to pursue it? How does it show up in your work today? Hit me up on Instagram and let me know. You can find me and direct message me at Lou Blazer on Instagram. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Okie dokie, that about wraps it up for this episode. You can find the show notes at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 95. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. If you like the show, if you like this podcast, I would so appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes because it helps tremendously reach the professionals who could benefit from what we talk about on the show. If you are not sure about how to leave a review, you can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review to get the step-by-step. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. I will be back with a new guest with an inspiring story to help you get motivated to move forward with your career goals. Until then, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans.